This is Psychic Warfare. Welcome back, my friends, to Psychic Warfare, the podcast where spirituality and philosophy collide with heavy metal and rock and roll. I am your host, Chris Keelick, and thank you for joining me once again on another journey into the lives and minds of the most iconic musicians in heavy music. I hope you guys all had a wonderful holiday season and uh, are all rested and recovered. Just as a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast and these conversations with the artists you love, it would mean the world if you subscribed and followed to the podcast on your platform of choice. Also, you can follow me and and the show at Pod on Twitter and at Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So if you get a chance, follow the show there for updates and happenings on all things Psychic Warfare. This week, Stu Folsom, vocalist and songwriter of the coolest savage crossover thrash cowboys you will ever hear, Spirit World, joins us on Psychic Warfare. Spirit World, hail out of Las Vegas, Nevada, and released their second blood-soaked and rattlesnake venom-covered record, Death Western, last month. It's truly an excellent record with some of the best pure riffs of the year, and it's made huge waves on a multitude of year-end best-of lists from tons of outlets, including Banger TV. Stu also released his new short fiction book, Godlessness, in conjunction with the record's release, and you can find that now through Rare Bird Books, and you can listen to Death Western now wherever you stream music. Stu, welcome to Psychic Warfare, and it's a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the nice uh, intro. Hey, uh, no problem, man. You definitely deserve it. It's an awesome kick-ass record. So I want to ask, I'm I'm sure it's great, but uh, how are you feeling at this moment in time, mentally, physically, and spiritually? I, I think a couple things pretty inspired at the moment, like right before I jumped on was uh, demoing some new stuff, working on the uh, next record. I finally have uh, like a sense of clarity on what I'm doing with that. I was tinkering around with doing a uh, punk rock record is kind of what I thought I was going to do. And then uh, I think I'm actually going to finish out this like thrash death metal thing and make it a trilogy. So I kind of got really inspired the last couple of weeks and have just been spending a lot of time in this room with guitars and I don't know. So on one hand, feeling creatively pretty inspired and then uh, probably like a lot of people, you know, the holidays and work and family stuff kind of a little overwhelming, a little isolated. So I don't know, kind of teeter back and forth between super creatively inspired and it's nice having a... Uh, like the new record out. So you get some, well, at least with this one, there's a lot of positive feedback. So I get kind of a, a little lift from that, so to speak. But then at the same time, there's a lot of, uh, like doing a band is pretty, what's the word for it? Inconvenient, you know? <laughs> That's one word, I'm sure. Yeah, so it's like on one hand, there's a lot of exciting stuff. But then on the other hand, when it starts popping like this, where you're trying to balance something that like obviously I put a lot of time into but it's kind of growing at its own it's becoming its own thing you know yeah and so there's a lot of stuff happening with it that not that it's out of my control but it just like offers for tours and things that are pretty wild so it's like <laughs> is is it in my control anymore it seems like the train is heading down the tracks yeah you know what the, I mean the- this was not one of my questions, but again, I'm sure you are getting tons of tour offers, but this is not one of my questions, but in my head, just shower thoughts one day, I was like, hmm, will there, there, will there be the Haunted by Three Spirits tour where it's Spirit Box, you guys, and Spirit Adrift on the same tour? <laughs> the well, same tour. I'm really good homies with uh, 
my boy Mike Fury that plays drums in Spirit of Oh, nice. Hey, you're two you're two two thirds of the way there, man. Haunted yeah, by I, three I don't know the spirit box, but, but uh, us and Spirit of Drift, we're all kindred spirits, so I'm sure we. Uh, I'm just floating that out into the universe. Cool. If any promoters or anybody who handles that stuff is listening, it's a great idea. You can steal it from me. I give you full permission. Uh, yeah, I think we're all playing. Uh, <laughs> I know us and Spirit of Drift play the same day at uh, Hellfest in France this year. Oh, sick yeah nice nice. different stages but i think we're on the same day so we'll probably hang out some love it you know and speaking of spirits i'm I'm curious with you because you know what i've read just through through interviews and stuff i'm curious to ask you this question you know what was your spiritual and philosophical upbringing like i mean did you grow up in a household that held a certain faith or was spirituality and stuff like that something personal that you developed and discovered over time on your own or you know, your, did you discover your own personal philosophy kind of as you got older and picked and chose from where you wanted to? How did that kind of, what was that like growing up? I would say uh, non-existent, borderline, <laughs> um, pretty secular upbringing. I didn't have a lot of influence from uh, like outside of a funeral, you know, maybe right. a wedding, probably up until I was like 10 years old, maybe a couple mainly funerals, you know, that would be the only time that we were in a, like a church. Very and, metal way to uh, get into your spirituality just through funerals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just mean like nobody in my family went to right, church right. really. And, uh, yeah. Like you went when you had to, you were obligated to for someone else. Yeah. Like that's the only thing I remember. And then um, when it first really kind of reared its head, um, I ended up moving from Vegas to southeastern idaho and mm. probably like seventh eighth grade somewhere in there like junior high so i was already like a kind of a wild punk rock kid you know like really music had kind of just started taking hold of me and uh when i moved up there all of a sudden i was surrounded in this little town pocatello that's uh, really kind of shaped morally and um just culturally by like mormon uh Ooh, families and so that for me was a bit of a culture shock and there's a lot of cool things. Like I'm not, I'm pretty open-minded. Yeah. I'm not very religious, but I can definitely like being up there where you have kids that are the same age group, but they're all like playing basketball together at the church. Mm -hmm. Like there's a sense of community that I recognized pretty quick that I wouldn't find for several more years until I really like deep dived into punk and hardcore, you know? Mm. But yeah. so spirituality for me was really kind of this mystery thing that I'd read about in books. And then in ninth grade, they offered an elective um, at my uh, school that was, I thought it was pretty interesting. It was, uh, they called it seminary. And hmm. so you had to leave campus and they had like a little, it's like some sort of LDS. It wasn't a church, but it was some sort of- I was going to say, of, I, like, I think of seminaries, like that's where you go to like be a priest and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, like- yeah, it. I'd never heard that term before, and then I saw it as an elective, and I was way ahead, and so I didn't need like credits or anything. And I think it was like the last half of ninth grade, so I signed up, and it was the Old Testament. So, oh, interesting. They had already covered part of it, so I missed like Genesis and shit. But then <laughs> skip um, the beginning part, yeah. Yeah, so I like went in there, and that's the first time I ever read anything in the Bible. And so all these kids were in there and they were pretty like zoned out bunch of LDS kids that yeah. I'm sure it just had this stuff kind of pounded through their head. And I just got lucky that they were doing the old Testament and not like 
the pearl a great price the, an- the angry god yeah so it was that was pretty eye-opening for me so i would say that was the first time where i really started thinking about theology and spirituality yeah. and things like that that's know? cool that's cool though i mean you don't get that experience i i've never heard of that before i don't think a lot of people get that experience you know kind of in a high school setting unless you're going to a a Christian school, like, but for you, it sounds like, like you said, it was an elective, um, you know, yeah. and I want to dive in going off of that to things I noticed on, on death Western, you know, one of the most classic tropes and ideals that you see in Westerns and in death Western is the notion of vengeance. And I guess this ties in nicely to the old Testament Christian God, um, characters in Westerns, they often feel that vengeance will cleanse them of pain or trauma, but then at the end, they kind of often end up feeling emptier having achieved it. You know, do you believe that there's any catharsis to truly be found in vengeance? Is there any true fairness or fulfillment in revenge? Do you think it's a pursuit that will ultimately hollow you out, you know, ultimately if you see it to the end? I mean, I think anything, if you go too far, hollows you out, you know what I mean? Whether it's addiction or like too much anything, you know, if you can't moderate. But on one hand, you know, if somebody fucks with you, it's pretty great, like impulse (laughs) reward to go smash somebody. So I would say, yes, there's probably a little bit of, um, there's probably some things you can find, some great joy, depending on how twisted you are of seeking revenge. I mean, I've never like went down anything very heinous to another human being. So the after effects of that, I'm sure it would be pretty harrowing and things you'd have to wrestle with. But I'm sure we've all had moments and you included where you thought like, man, I wish I could just, you know, get back at this person for something, you know? Yeah. And and I mean, I've ran into stuff like that in my life where I have, and it does feel good. Like I'm not like on some moral high horse. I mean, even just being a prick to somebody that even playing field here, man, no judgment, whatever. As you grow up, you get a little more, like I try to just seek out positivity and like, I really don't have a lot of drama or any sort of um, ill will to anybody. But, you know, I think that when you don't get what you want, somebody else gets it or somebody takes things of yours that, that natural thing that's kind of in our DNA. I mean, I think everybody feels it, you know? Yeah. And that goes into the next question, which is about another of the big philosophical ideas that I, I see you talking about on in the story on Death Western, which is justice. And that's obviously another huge trope in Westerns. It's one of the most discussed and conjectured concepts in all of philosophy. But just simple question to you, what is justice to you? Is justice about equality? Is it about fairness? Is it about getting what we deserve? Or is it about getting what we need? I, I think all of, it. all of those things. And and I think through art, like you have to be careful with taking like, um, especially like songs and like, this is like a death thrash album and like the fiction stories I write, they're pretty horror centric. So I would be, I would be reticent to say like any of this stuff is like me airing out like some really deep seated like shit that I really feel like personally it's more of like a fantasy of things you know and I try to combine character types that because I like westerns and I like horror and I like these different things and so it's interesting to me like there's a character running through here that on one hand is you know been sexually abused assaulted and kind of turns into this like train hopping serial rapist of men slash serial killer but then he is the world's ending and this happens like later on spoiler alert but like (laughs) as he starts becoming like kind of involved with the like the end of the world and these characters i'm building that are setting out to kind of see if they can stop it 
like he kind of becomes the right hand of the Lord. So one of the songs, The Heretic Butcher, it kind of ties into that. There's a couple of things where you hear about this character. And like, I think it's interesting to have, like on one hand, he's seeking justice for like a childhood of like horrific trauma, but then caught in that violent cycle of kind of acting out the same things, you know, he's molested. So then he's, you know, dominating other men. Perpetrating it. Yeah. Right. So like, I, I mean, maybe I'm a little twisted too. So no, yeah. hey, I mean, most, most people don't write about. Like I mean, that, let's be. Like, I mean, let's be real. I mean, who isn't? I mean, especially if you're into metal and and heavy music. But it's uh, it's all cathartic and it's all you know, it's all storytelling and it's all. I mean, not all of it's storytelling, obviously, but you know, I, every but everybody I've met in in rock and metal is amazing usually you know amazing people so it's just it's just catharsis in different ways you know you shape that in different ways and portray that in different ways i am curious to know more about just you and your ideas like even if you're not expressing those on the record you know in terms of like justice you know when we talk about justice you know in regards to punishment and you can express this through the record as well you know there's retributive justice you know which is kind of what the character is doing which is where one believes the only way for justice to be satisfied is for a wrongdoer to suffer in proportion to the way that he or she has made others to suffer, you know, eye for an eye, uh, you know, where punishment is supposed to hurt. It's supposed to hurt. And that's the only way to truly get lasting change. then there's, you know, rehabilitation, advocating for therapy, education for wrongdoers to learn to adjust in society and follow the rules. You know, there's restorative justice where the wrongdoer must make amends rather than make them suffer for their crime they're they're fixing what they did wrong you know where do you fall on what you believe is the most effective form of justice i mean should it be taken on a case-by-case basis you know where are the lines drawn and i know this is getting pretty pretty deep but i'm I'm just curious with you personally what you think about it yeah and i will say i mean i'm i'm still trying to figure out how i think and feel like every time yeah. i think I tell have me about it man about i'm there with things. you yeah i tend to uh i do a lot of self reflection and kind of changed my idea. When I was younger, I grew up in a family with, I have five brothers, right? So we were all just a bunch of knuckleheads. And <laughs> to say like yeah. that, that knee-jerk reaction of somebody messes with you, don't take any shit. Like I grew up in that, like that ma- super macho, like that's just the way it was, you know, like you have your tribe and anybody that even stupid stuff. Yeah. The mean, retribution. Yeah, it's a pound of flesh. So when I was younger, I definitely like that was the only thought process I was really like informed of or pretty much like the standard I was made to uphold. You know, you like you have your inner circle of your family, your brothers, your cousins, whatever, your neighborhood friends. And it's like you versus the world and like wherever that takes you. And then, you know, I'm happy to say I survived like getting through all of those experiences, traveling. Mm. being completely out of control like immature with a bunch of wild dudes like in our 20s just like I made it through all of that kind of stuff and there was definitely a lot of criminal just like ignorant shit going on at all times just a bunch of lost crazy crazy kids really struggling to like find identity purpose community and so I kind of um on the other side of that I find myself now like I've been with the same girl who's like super smart, super intelligent. And like, as we started figuring like our career paths and what we we're going to do, like watching her, she worked at a um, homeless shelter called uh, Catholic Charities. Okay. And so there you have a group where however you feel about organized religion, right. Catholicism, I mean, that 
on one hand, you have like I have views about that, you know, but then to see like a group of people that are all coming from pretty high end professional things and they kind of settle like they're it's not a retirement. It's like a soft retirement. Right. right so you right. have this group of people in your community that are like super connected, spending all of their time and money. And, and helping it's like people. the biggest. Yeah, it's the biggest men's shelter. And so probably maybe 10, 12 years ago, like right when my first band got done and I was really trying to figure out what I was going to do, like I'm watching her and like these kind of ideas are like seeping in my, into my head more where it's like you can make a tremendous impact, like volunteerism, the energy you put out, it tends to come back to you. You know, when you have these crazy violent circles you run in and just kind of like, for lack of a better term, like outlaw mentality, like that kind of stuff you see where it just drags people down yeah. and it's know, karmic. Yeah, it is. And it, it's like, I don't, I don't know what I believe per se, but I do know that what you put out tends to come back. And so I've really personally, like in the last 10, 12 years, like I would say that's been the biggest growth I've had in my life is I'm very, I'm very intentional about what I spend my time with, who I spend my time with and like, what that energy is doing, you know? Yeah. And I find that if you're surrounded by people who have a bit of a higher moral code that they follow, whether it's religious or just like these innate things where they help people or they're kind and right. more empathetic, I tend to find I like those relationships more and I, I get a lot more out of them, you know? Yeah. Have you begun to kind of explore either literature, not necessarily literature, but you know, things that kind of reinforce kind of how you're growing and the things you're kind of digesting and absorbing about the way you you're starting to view the world and the these these lessons that you're kind of like growing with. Are you is there anything particular you're kind of probing into? Like, hey, this is kind of interesting and it's kind of like reinforcing what I'm learning right now or what I'm kind of Yeah, absorbing. I mean, I go down a lot of rabbit holes, like some things that um in that last decade, like a friend gifted me. There's this uh he was a Jesuit writer coming from the like the Catholic Okay. camp malachi martin um mm. he has some pretty interesting stuff and like the first book i got from his was uh it's called house of the devil and it goes into a lot of um like his experiences and some things with like exorcisms and pretty dark but also there's a lot of themes of like you know he ends up kind of getting like falling out of the i guess on the on the right side of the church but probably some of the content he's creating too you know does yeah. that and so i thought that was probably the first thing that a friend gifted me that I read that I was really starting to look at organized religion from more of an impartial, like leaving my punk rock, like this stuff is horrific. There's yeah. no good to be gleaned from it. And then also um, I looked at a lot of, I guess like putting a foot into higher education. I really got kind of captivated by a lot of the old Greek mythology. And so I went oh, down a rabbit cool. hole of like, a lot of Roman, um, a lot of Roman and Greek stuff, just like pretty fascinated with the, uh, yeah. anything in particular that like resonated with you personally, like any, any individual story or myth? I mean, all of it really, I think it's, it's pretty awesome. Like <laughs> I, right. I'm still, um, I'm still really perplexed by how you go from having at one point, you know, you have this persecution of Christianity, right? Right. So prior to like Constantine, he was kind of the Roman emperor that really yeah, the, the deathbed conversion to Christianity. Yeah. And it's like that, I would say is probably the singular thing that's informing some of the 
mythos in this fiction world I'm building hmm. because there's something that happened there where you have very strong like pagan like centric right views where you have multiple deities and it happens in different cultures but like there's this general theme of like you have you know a god of war you know gods of art and all these like different pagan traditions and then suddenly like there's a great um there's a great story they tell where i think uh as there's a civil war in rome and there's like three factions like fighting for the control like one of them is outside of the river and they see this like kind of like a giant light oh, the, in the sky the cross in the sky i I'm, yeah i know like, that story that's that's a, yeah. a famous painting of the constantine seeing that he's in the battle and he sees the cross in the sky yeah and then there's like the there's like the whatever they end up i think there's like the river battle there and somehow after they see this sighting the miracle that like kind of pushes him to believe in the one god the christian god is like that whole because they win the battle i think right I'm correct yeah i think they push him into the river and there's like kind of a uh like a nature event too where somehow mm. they i think either the river floods or somehow they end up like the river kind of thwarts them being outnumbered and huh. outmaneuvered or whatever but um like looking at that where like he has his vision right of right. the light and then you fast forward i mean maybe 300 years and it's like you've set in motion the most powerful organized force that pretty much i mean it it informs everything right. we have today, like to you know? like, to spread it on like on a, on a scale that hadn't been seen before like it was, an, yeah. it, was an, it was an underground you know people were obviously christians were per persecuted and tortured and killed before then so it would yeah, from the underground like to the total the mainstream and, yeah yeah and then next thing you know it's like you're no, going no, in the coliseum and it's not you're not probably going to come out of there <laughs> yeah so i like that was um I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't really have strong beliefs in yeah. a higher power or anything, but I do believe in good and like negative energy. And I, I've been pretty fascinated with uh, like that time span of like, what could have happened to like flip that on a dime? It almost seems yeah. impossible to me, you know, like crazy. I know just fate kind of fate working its magic or whatever, but, and going a little deeper into this, I mean, you obviously mentioned a lot of specific demons and tons of references to black magic and death Western and your first record pagan rhythms. And I know it all plays into the story that you're telling across both records. Um, but, you know, going into this kind of organized Christian that religion that you're kind of opening your mind to and, and looking at objectively, you know, how much do you pull personally from those sources in your own philosophy and spirituality? I guess we kind of answered that, but how much digging did you do in writing both records into the occult? And, you know, what did you unearth that kind of affected your worldview in, in a certain way? Like, do you believe in kind of like possessions and that there are forces kind of beyond like demonic things kind of beyond like what we can comprehend? Or is that just something that you're like, I don't fucking know. And it's just part of the story. Well, I mean, it's I know for one thing, like living in Las Vegas there are some like serious issues with mental health. Right. Yeah. And so this also ties into like my girl working at a homeless shelter, like my own struggles with like addiction and getting sober. And like, you see people that whether it's, you know, being on a speed vendor and then they just kind of go a little nuts, you know? Yeah. And I've, I've had a lot of strange conversations and like a lot of strange interactions with people where, they're functioning on a plane of like physical existence where you see them, but like what's going on up here is like they're they're seeing the world in a perspective in a way that like is impossible for like somebody kind of on the straight and narrow, sober in that time span to even 
relate to, let alone comprehend what's happening, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think things like that, maybe it's a function of alcoholism and biker speed and kind of all these crazy things, but also there's like a pretty spiritual, like bankrupt society that we live in. And some of this, I mean, is that the devil pulling the strings? I don't know, man. It's the same way I feel about like uh, extraterrestrial stuff. Like, do I believe that our pilots are seeing crazy shimmering things out over San Diego nonstop and it's like been covered up and it could be like, who knows, Chinese tech, you know, other world tech. Like, I don't have the answers for this stuff, but I definitely believe that there's different things happening. I don't know anybody that's set in their ways that believes too strong in one way or the other. I think there's a, uh, I think there's kind of a, danger in that you know i mean even in an objective level i mean the universe the universe is so vast i mean there's millions and billions of galaxies i mean like the 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 odds that there isn't something out there is pretty small (laughs) pretty small i'd lean i'd lean more towards the that there is yeah and i i do i think there's um i mean it's hard to say if like very kind of narrow-minded i think sometimes to think that we're like exceptional and like that we're the only you know things there i mean again we could be i don't know again i'm with you i don't know these things but the evidence would suggest probably not (laughs) well i think that view is pretty common where it's you know human beings think that we're kind of like the son of the you know the universe that like everything revolves around us but i kind of i'm on that other side i think personally where i think we're a happy accident that has had a pretty good run but i don't (laughs) think that yeah i honestly am not quite sure that we're out here doing anything really special unique that we're some gifted thing that's like you know these little that's setting the tone for everyone else out there yeah yeah i don't necessarily believe that i think we're more of a uh happy accident we're lucky to be here here. (laughs) exactly took the words out of my mouth and kind of talking about these big forces you know i'm very interested in getting and reading your new book godlessness um i'm automatically intrigued by it because of your cormac mccarthy influence or at least that's what's that's you know that's how it's been described through you know various you know through the the site the rare bird site and through interviews you've done um you know what i pull from a lot of the stories that mccarthy tells is this kind of sense of the unstoppable these massive forces that just exist and we can't control or stop them whether you want to label them good or evil or not you know there's both a peaceful acceptance to be found there and like hey there's these things beyond our control but you know also the potential potential for a deep sense of pure loneliness futility smallness nihilism about things you know you write a lot about the entanglement between deliverers of justice and demonic forces on death western in that western perspective like mccarthy does in his books you know what from mccarthy's work do you pull from that you believe in is there something is there a piece of wisdom that he you often includes in his writing that has kind of shaped how you view the world that you're like hey that resonates i'm trying to think what i read of his first maybe it's a border trilogy with all the pretty horses and um to answer the question, I pull a lot of stuff. Like I'm just a fan, you yeah. know, like I've read a ton of his stuff and it's very rare that an author like strikes me like he did where, you know, you pick it up and you just read everything that a guy writes, but it's embarrassing when people like even put my name around Cormac McCarthy. Cause on one hand, it's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm writing like pulp. Like I'm more on the Louis L'Amour side. Right. right? I got like, you. This is pretty surface level. Like, stuff for kicks for me personally and like he's writing stuff that has like great like there's a sense of gravity and a sense of understanding the world and like his 
his faith, like the way he builds characters is on such another level. Like, I don't even know how I think enough or feel about these things to articulate them through the eyes and minds of other characters in the way that he purposefully does. So I think what I pull from him, like there's a, like an inspiration of like world building where he can build these incredibly dense, like Blood Meridian's horrific. It's one of the most like harrowing, violent things. But at the same time, like there's, I connect with characters in there, you know, there's like Toad Vine, the judge. Like, Yeah, there is this universality. That's that's kind of what I I get a lot out of his books. Yeah. And it like he doesn't describe things either. Like I just reread some of that a couple of weeks ago just because it was on my phone. I, maybe I was flying somewhere or something and I was just going through looking at downloaded shit. And it's so interesting. Like he will have a chapter in that book that's like 25, 30 pages and one passage. It's like a paragraph where he just kind of explains like very briefly what happened. But like that whole paragraph could be like 30 pages in and of itself. Like yeah. I've read that book 10 times and I still like, I read things that just like. A philosophical idea that's that's it. briefly expressed, but you're like, man, like you're tapping into something that there's a well of water down there to, to go further. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's gotta be intentional, but it's also to like have that idea and then just let it be yeah. and move on to the next thing and express like let the reader kind of pick up on those things and then take it down their own path is I think there's yeah. an art to that. It is a beautiful ways, thing. You know? He's he's really tapping into the ideas that like there is so much mystery in the world we live in and that it's kind of our it's up to us to kind of uncover that how we will, but that there's a lot of a lot of ideas that people don't often take the time to kind of set aside and think about, but then he does it in such a kind of brief way. It's it's almost it's uh, striking, but a different uh, word even greater than striking, kind of just something that like takes almost takes you aback when you read it. And then you're like, hold on. You're like, hold on a second. <laughs> and then you want to like, yeah, go, yeah. you know, you take that and you go further. So yeah, I think that's you know really what cool. I, I was thinking about. Um, Tell me that you like you brought this up is. Tell uh, me. So I started doing this thing with test presses, right? Because like um, we sell a lot of test presses like, like vinyl test presses. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've had um, test presses of like all of our stuff and like. I collect vinyl and part of the reason I do this band, you know, like I do this band to be my favorite band. Right. And so I had like a limited amount of test presses and I had a lot of close friends that were trying to collect these things. And so we started doing this thing where like, yeah, I'll save you one, but you have to like give me your favorite book. Right. Hmm. And so then I've gotten like, I've gotten like signed and scripted copies of like nice editions of some of my that's really cool favorite books right which is weird like we don't i don't like put that out there but it's like a little thing that's happening hey man if we were closer i'd send you my favorite book for a test pressing (laughs) yeah yeah so it's like a side quest right so one of them um a friend of mine gabe gave me crime and punishment right and so uh like a decade before he'd given me a copy of the idiot which like i've tried i've tried to get into russian lit (laughs) and like i do like I appreciate the mastery of it. Yeah. And like that guy's, he's another one where the world building, it's like, Jesus, I know. We love, we love Dostoevsky. We do, we stand Dostoevsky over here. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's fucking like, it's great. Like I'm not there yet. Cause I just like, it's so dense and I like, it's a chore for me to like read through it. Yeah. But I really like it. I'm, I'm almost there. Give me another 10 years. Yeah. But Brothers, there was something. Yeah. If you get to I Brothers Karamazov, 
that's an excellent book that like really there's, yeah, there's, that, pas there's passages I've talked about in the podcast before that like really speak to me and like really touch on kind of the way I want to view the world. So let me know when you get there. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was something in Crime and Punishment. I, I just read the other day because it's a book where I pick it up and I'm like reading through stuff. But there was like, uh, I'll butcher the characters names, but there's like a conversation where they're talking about seeing ghosts. Yeah. And it's uh to paraphrase it, it's like normal people don't see ghosts. They don't they don't have to. It's sick people. It's when you're you have issues and you're poor and you're like haunted and you're like bothered that then that's when you start seeing ghosts. Like the normal person thinks they're crazy and labels them crazy because like the functioning society, when you're normal, you're not you're not gonna pick up on these things. You don't notice yeah. it. And just the way like I can't think of you know, the exact words that were used, but right. that was something that jumped off the page at me too. It's like, I don't know why, but you get, it struck a chord with me. Man. Those, those, those 1800s zingers, you know, those, those 1800s uh, one-liners or those, those 1800s, you know, passages that make you stop in your tracks. Yeah, I totally agree. It's uh, Dostoevsky is very, very powerful in, in writing stuff like that. And I'm thinking, you know, it reminds me, the way you say that, it reminds me of things that like certain beliefs only have power to those who believe in it. Like you think of like, I was, I was reading a, a synopsis for a movie I saw years ago called the skeleton key, the horror movie. I'm sure you've seen it with like, I think Kate Hudson's in it. I don't remember who's in it, but you know, the whole thing in that movie is that like, they have to like get her to believe in voodoo and hoodoo because it only affects people who like truly believe in it or like get to a point where like they yeah. seek it out for themselves and like believe in its power. So it's kind of, kind of similar on that, on that vein. And I'm, I'm curious on another like kind of changing gears here, broad topic of things that I'm curious if you believe in and you've grown a lot since you've talked about your younger days. Do you believe in forgiveness and redemption? You know, is redemption a personal thing or a societal thing? You know, how important is forgiveness and redemption to you? And is there any case where someone is beyond all redemption and forgiveness? Or you're just like, okay, there's a certain point you cross a line that's beyond your reach. I mean, I've had personal relationships that have ended like that for sure. You know, where like things come between things get in the way and then it, there's just no turning back. And then those relationships just fall off completely, you know? And at one point when the wound is fresh, like you kind of justify that as like, the line has been crossed and it's 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 a wrap right but personally I, I think that forgiveness is important especially forgiving yourself i know i fucked up a lot of stuff you know fucked up a lot of relationships made a lot of errors learned the hard way i tend to beat my head against the wall and like that's in all aspects of life you know and i think being able to forgive yourself for really your mistakes is pretty powerful because I don't know. It's very easy to get in that rut where you just feel like your self-worth comes into play, where you just start really hating on yourself and that negative self-talk. And for me, I think getting sober, looking at things, how I was living, choices I was making, the way it was affecting people, the way that I was being viewed by people that I really care and love about. A lot of that, you can call it retribution. I don't, I don't think it's that. Personally, I wouldn't say that, but I could see in other circumstances where it could be like you forgive yourself, you start making amends, you start doing some things that um, maybe you weren't doing before and the way people view you, it kind of turns around and it goes back to that energy, like what you're putting your energy into. If you're doing things that kind of, I don't know it. Yeah. I would say, yes, I a hundred percent believe in forgiveness. And I think if you can forgive somebody else, I mean, maybe you'll never be as tight again, 
but I think relinquishing that kind of, I don't know, that it's just kind of a waste of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you get rid of that and you allow somebody else to get rid of it, I think that's a beautiful thing too. You know, I a hundred percent agree. And it seems like what you're saying is yes, you believe in it, but you know, you can't separate the fact that you got to kind of earn it. You got to, you got to put work in and effort into earn forgiveness from people. And even in yourself, like you you can't just like say, well, I forgive myself and then just go right back to whatever it is you were doing. You have to like take active steps and put work into everything, whether it's forgiving and, you know, other people finding redemption in yourself. It's all, there's, there's a physical work that has to go along with it that you can't separate from just the idea of it. Yeah. More and more, I, I do tie a lot of things into just like the work and the, like the act that you're doing to get out of something. Um, that's really how I feel with a lot of relationships is like, I try and hold myself accountable and just be like, what can I do to one demonstrate that I'm in this, I want this to work at a really fundamental level of like, this is how I'm going to act, behave choices I'm going to make in order for this other person to really at the end of the day, just know that like, I'm in it, you know? Yeah. What is it? I think it's work. I make like a list in my head of like what I'm going to work on for like this record for like relationships personally. And I mean, I think some people will say that I'm like, probably think I've been really, really productive over the last four or five years, which from the outside looking in, it's true. I still think I waste a lot of time. I'm a Mm. procrastinator, but I can see where other people see that, you know? And I think, I think that's a philosophy that I've, really kind of leaned into is I don't spend as much time hanging out. I'm more of a um, really becoming a bit of a recluse. But part of that is the things that I'm working on are kind of things that you got to do. You got to get down in the trenches and yeah, do you need it. it. Yeah. So it's like reading, watching films, like hanging out, like some of the things that I'm doing, it's a lot of, it's not as social as probably I was in my twenties and shit, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I, I think that, um, I just kind of view that stuff as work, improving, getting more intelligent, picking up skills, being a better guitar player, being a better artist, my day job, all of those things, relationships. Like, I think, um, I I think think it's it's important to view things like a, uh, like put in the work, you know, I think it's so important that your mind is open to all that. And, you know, what does it take? You know, what does it, what does it take? I guess, because there's so many people that go through their life never kind of having that realization or never even wanting to examine and be like, gee, like, what can I do to fix the things I've done? And, you know, maybe I should like take a step back and open my mind to this other person's perspective, or, you know, maybe view myself a different way. What does it take? I mean, there's always the answer of like, you know, you got to get to rock bottom, but maybe some people don't need to get there. But in your mind, like what kind of thing has to happen or is it just innate like are are people just different like you can't make people think a certain way are some people just more open to thinking that way or is there something that can happen to everyone that that they'll be like hey you know maybe i should stop and assess things and think about what i can do i mean i wish i had an answer for that i mean wouldn't that be great to just uh solve some of the world probably be making millions of dollars writing a book about it (laughs) Yeah, but I I don't have an answer. I I can speak from personal experience that there was a point in time where I was really feeling uninspired. I wasn't feeling like myself. However, you want to frame that up, you know. Yeah, and you but you and you know it when you feel it. Like it's hard to describe. I feel like you say, but you know it when you feel it. There's depression in there. There was substance abuse issues. There was like, there was a lot of like things going on that I wasn't happy with, 
and that I could just feel and it was a weight and it was something that I thought about a lot and I couldn't put my finger on what it was you know what I mean and it just like was this it was kind of like a black hole whatever you want to call that you know yeah. where like whatever was going on void. yeah yeah there was something there and um I didn't fill it with spirituality I didn't find any sort of higher power I can tell you that right but what I did find is I feel a lot better when I'm treating people a lot kinder treating myself kinder and when I'm putting my effort and energy into things that I'm proud of and one of the things that I I had no expectation of starting a band and having people like really get into it like blowing up that was not the goal for me the goal for me was to make little pieces of art that I curate and develop that are at like an artistic level where it could be something that if I were to find, it would knock me on my ass and I would be like, wow, this is incredible. And I don't think that I've gotten there yet. Like I'm still trying to make these things at Mm -hmm. this level, but the reaction that this band and that these little projects are getting that I'm making, I can see it start like a groundswell where it's already like snowball starting to roll. Yeah, like the snowball is rolling and I 100% attribute that to I don't have any talent. I don't have oh, any bullshit. sort of Well, <laughs> well, hear I'm me out. Joking. It's not I got like you. when you have a group of friends where you have somebody who's really talented and they have this otherworldly gift, whether it's guitar playing, singing, painting, anything like that, right? I'm not one of those people. I'm one of the people that's like if you show me a guitar chord, it is a pain in the ass to make my fingers do the thing. Mm. And then every little piece of this, I struggle with even doing it. But I am a working class guy that like, I know if I put my nose to the grindstone, I won't be great. I can't play anybody else's songs, but I can do what I want to do. You know, just Absolutely. like like working on a car, like I can do the things to like get the car to work, but I'm not like a mechanic. And so I think Right. You're not going to build, you're not going to build a Ferrari from the ground up maybe, but. Yeah. But like, it's just, I think that um, you can make up for raw talent and a little bit of discipline and just like having, like getting rid of the ego and just being like perseverance. I know I'm, I'm not great, but if I'm pretty good at a bunch of stuff and I'm really, really particular about how I put things together and I'm really on a critical level, if you can like carve out the things that your inner voice will say, oh, this is great. But then you listen to it the next day and you're like, eh, little derivative, like right then and there, like, you know, you should cut that part out and you should change it and you should try to do something better. And I think if you listen to that voice and tap into that, I think you can, um, I don't know. I think you can do whatever you want. I don't care if it's writing a book or making records, whatever, you know, persistence and perseverance and being true to yourself. Like you said, and, and not giving up on it, you know, like, cause in those moments where you're like, eh, it's derivative, people would give up and just be like, well, I better as well just do something else. But, and first of all, you have created art and you are talented. This record is great through and through start to finish. Like you've, you've really crafted something really, really great. I just have to say that from my perspective, I, I would, say that about you absolutely i love the ending line in a thousand deaths which is the last song on death western what you know you write so tell me what would you do if your fate was revealed to you if you lived a thousand deaths every night inside your head you hear people say that they would love to know the way certain events turn out in their life maybe you at some point in your life would have loved to have known how things would turn out or not or even how when they would die you know things like that who you'd fall in love with 
but you definitely play on the idea that this would be an event that would ruin your life and destroy your joy. And I love Alan Watts. I've talked about Alan Watts a lot. And he says, you know, when we come down to the fact of ultimately, what do we desire in our life? He says, you don't, you don't desire like power, money, all these things, because it becomes predictable. What you want is a surprise. You know, what you truly desire in your life is a surprise always. And I think we, as people thrive in the sense that there is a certain sense of fate and surprise that guides our life. Do you feel like you appreciate the mystery and sense of not knowing that permeates our lives and deaths and even the universe? I mean, for sure. I think, I think the thing that it, that line specifically, I, like it's hard for me to separate cause I know exactly what I was trying to like, what that <laughs> right. line was about. And like, it's, a, it's about a character who is having these visions where he keeps seeing the same thing. It's the night he dies every right. night when he goes to sleep. Right. So he's like, has this horrible death burned alive and he sees this like kind of figure from another world, you know, it's like a kind of a demonic entity. Right. Yeah. So that's like, on one hand, that's what I'm talking about. And that line is what would you do if you know exactly how you're going to die every night when you go to sleep, you see it over and over and over again. Like it's going to drive you mad, the anxiety, all of these things. Like, yeah, but if you applied that idea to other things, what do you think? What do you think about that? Do you think that would ruin, ruin your life? Do you think people could live that way? Yeah, for me, like I've never had a hold on what I'm doing. Like even now, I don't know what I'm doing. So it's like I'm setting in motion things that like I know that I know there's certain things that are going to happen, right? Like now I'm in one of these hyped up metal bands that's getting offered like a bunch of crazy stuff. And so I've seen a lot of friends do this. I've seen a lot of like bands I admire do this. And it's like I kind of know what's coming on one hand a little bit. I don't know the details. And so even the way that I set up this whole project, it's like, I kind of was looking ahead of like, if I do this and it's good and it like registers with people, how do I make it in a way where I can scale it? What would the dream be? And like, for me, like I'm really, I kind of sat down and like thought about these things at a really deep level of like, how can I balance my life, my relationships? Do I want to be in a band and have five people being able to like have influence over my decision-making? No, I don't. So it's got to be a solo project. And then if it blows up, I'll bring in, people that I really respect and admire and trust to play live. So like, that's the one part that I'm at now, but then the other piece is if it blows up, like, what would I want to do? I want to make records, huge records. I want to be like, I want to have a huge band where it's like, I want to be ghost. So how would I do that? How do I take like the little theater kid in me that I'll I tell never you what, man, with that suit, you're already on your way. That suits kick ass. Yeah. And all of those things are like conscious things of like projecting this band can be bigger, but I also want to play like super heavy stuff. So when I think about things like that, of like, if you knew what your fate was going to be, what would you do? It's like, I don't know what the fate's going to be, but I know I kind of have an idea of like, what if I can make these wild dreams come true? Like, what can I do today to set that up for success? And also to really kind of capture the moment. Because most of the most of the things that I've really screwed up in my life have been a knee-jerk reaction emotionally, mm. like getting the best of me, where it's just immaturity and also like kind of being blindsided by things where you like you turn around and you're like, wow, I'm in this moment. I didn't see it coming. I reacted very poorly. And now the consequences are things that I wish I could do over, but you you know, you make your bed. There you yeah, are. That's so human. So I kind of, you know. Yeah. So I kind of, I think spending a lot of time thinking about 
repercussions and if you make things, what happens? And there's a business too. Like I'm building a business, like it's a side hustle, but like I have a thriving small business that is this band that like, I also have to like figure out those things, you know? You got kick-ass merch too, by, by the way, guys, go, go, go get some spirit world merch. It's yeah, really cool. <laughs> I got a whole house full of this shit, man. Like that's another thing, you know, it's like, would I ever want to be like a brand guy? Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like a clothing store guy? No. But do I have like this booming Shopify store that probably anybody trying to start a brand would kill to have? Yes. But that's just a tiny, tiny little piece of what I'm doing. You Myself know? included. Hopefully I can get there one day, man. But much, yeah. much respect, much respect. And from the bottom of my heart, I'm so happy that everything has gone the way it has for you and the records getting all this press and you deserve it, man. You really do. And Stu, that brings us to our two final segments of the show. So first up is Tomes of Wisdom, where each guest recommends us three pieces of media that have inspired them philosophically or spiritually in the last year. And this can be books, films, games, comics, you know, anything that's made you think about your own life or life in the world in a different way. So Stu, what are three pieces of media you've consumed that you would recommend for us to digest? And I bet you got some because you were talking about staying in, reading books, watching movies. Yeah, yeah. Um... God, I wish I would have prepared for this. No, a little bit. off the cuff, uh, man. This is how we do things. Whatever you yeah, got. Yeah, off, off the cuff, there is a book. Um, I can't think of the author's name, but uh, it's just a guide to the music business. It gets republished every year. Okay. And um, if you're going to be in a band and you're going to do things, you need to read because all the contracts and everything you do. Yes. Like it's kind of like. Don't just sign anywhere shit. <laughs> you, yeah, anywhere you go in the world, Coca Cola has already been there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you see the same shit, so it's like. Don't get, when you start doing things with your life that to you, it may be new and interesting. Believe me, there are resources. And so one thing that I would recommend for anybody in the arts, start thinking about how you're going to build your business that's going to support this artistic endeavor, which if you're not into being creative and doing things, it's probably not up your alley. But for me, like before I make a decision, I know exactly what I'm getting into. Like we mm -hmm. signed a Century Media. It's a traditional record deal but I was comfortable with that because I have like my own agenda. Get your homework. Even though they're going to have pretty much three of my records, I'm sacrificing three of my babies. And at some point, if I want them back, it's a license deal. I know that I have to recoup everything that they've spent. I have to audit them and it's going to be a whole chain of events. But like, I knew that going in. And so I work full time, the band, I don't have a dream of like, I need this paycheck. So I would say if you're, especially if you're like a music kid, get educated, read up on what you want to do. And before you ever make a decision, like decide what you're going to build, how you're going to build it. That would be one recommendation. Okay. Number two, I'll keep it on the creative stuff because sure. Go for I it, just man. like, I'm kind of in that rabbit hole right now yeah. is Dan O'Bannon has a book on how to write a screenplay. If oh, you're unfamiliar cool. with um, Dan O'Bannon, he did, I would say my favorite thing he did that because he wrote and directed was Return of the Living Dead with the punk rockers in the cemetery, like classic. But he also worked on things, basically the idea for Alien. A lot of these things were like his screenplays. Huh. And so he has some pretty, I have a hard time when I'm reading about people talking about fiction and how to write a screenplay, how to write a novel. Like I have a hard time, like really putting their things into motion. And so his book, was fantastic. It's a really simple guide, 
cut out all the filler. It gives you like a simple way to structure your idea. And if you just kind of follow it, you may not have a great script, but you're going to have something that's like in the ballpark. You know what I mean? Right. I got and you. kind of a, a two B to that would be Stephen King's on writing. Oh, I got, a, I got a lot out of that. I would check out those two. And then I'll, I'll do a show. Do um, Nicholas Wending Ruffin did a show on Amazon. That's kind of a uh, crime noir like uh, thing, but really kind of strange execution it's uh too old to die young which... I, I think it, yeah is that is miles teller in that yeah yeah okay yeah. yeah check that one out like uh there's some things like the cinematographer on there the way that they work with colors and then the story is just like kind of batshit too but i really dug i was really inspired by that and i pull a lot of weird things from film and like fiction books into like heavy metal which maybe it doesn't Maybe the undertones are there and you just don't know it. But like, I really take some of those, um, the way that other media makes me feel. And I try and inject that into, yeah, you know, these concept albums. Cause I don't yeah. know. I think you it's pull, interesting. You pull from everywhere. And I don't, I don't know much about him personally, but he seems like someone, Nicholas Winding Refn, who I, I also really like, seems like someone who would enjoy metal. I don't know why I get that impression from him, but he just seems like someone who would. And, uh, Maybe one day I'll get him on the podcast if he does like metal. He um, has a uh, he has a very interesting kind of famous quote. Well, famous to me anyways. But when he was talking about because he did Valhalla Rising, then he did Drive. Yep. And so some of these films that he did, somebody asked him like, "How are you making these like films? How are you getting people to give you money?" He's like, "Well, I just lie. I just say I'm going to go make a Viking movie, <laughs> and then once I get the money for the Viking movie." Be as vague as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Then I go make what I'm actually making. He's like, so with Drive, I said, I'm going to make like a caper chase picture. But all I really wanted to do was get Ryan Gosling in a muscle car and then go hang out in LA. Uh, And so then like he followed that up with uh, Only God Forgives. We're like, they're in Thailand. But I, I, that really resonated with me too. It's like, you know what you want to do. So just go lie and get somebody to fucking give you carte blanche to do something and if you got to like give it an umbrella title do that but like the important part of the work that you do you don't have to tell anybody what that is you know just be like yeah man there's vikings and fighting and and blood and people love it (laughs) yeah like like as long as you know what you're doing and you have your creative north star like just go make it happen and if you got a lie to do it i mean what's a little white lie to to make you know people if people so many people in this world never get the chance to make their dreams a reality and if you got to like do something that doesn't hurt anybody to make it happen then you know what go for it if it doesn't as long as it doesn't hurt anybody do it that's what i say finally this is the segment that i like to call the chaser so in the chaser we ask the same 10 rapid fire questions for each guest and we ask that they keep their answer to 30 seconds or less although i'm not hard and fast on that rule uh are you are you ready Stu? hit me do you believe in fate or free will and why I do not believe in fate. I believe in free will. I think there's way too many people fucking up their life for it all to be fated. What is a stronger force in the world, love or hate and why? I'm going to go with love. There's a lot of hate, but I think way more people are driven by love. Who are the three most important spiritual and moral guides in your life and why? That's tough, man. I'm pretty uh, spiritually bankrupt. I don't have any like three deities that I've Hey, people have said their parents, man. People have said their parents, their grandparents. It could be anybody like that. Yeah, I would say my partner, Jen, um, definitely our families. And then uh, I would say just 
energy, like good energy. Yeah. What was the most spiritual place for you where you grew up and why? And this doesn't have to be like literally spiritual. It can just be a place that you remember growing up and seeing and feeling like a sense of awe or just like some different kind of energy or feeling about it. My headphones, man. Like, I mean, that's kind of a cliche thing no, for not at all. to say that it's like spiritual, but there was a time in my life where like, I just remember putting on headphones and like, that was the thing. What was happening right here was the most important, impactful, powerful thing that to this day I've ever felt. What is the most delicious meal you've had in the last month and where was it? She, we just made some tacos the other night that were pretty good. Mm. Just like gringo tacos, ground beef, yeah. Taco Bell style, like amazing. Hell yeah, love it. When was the last time you felt lost? I always feel lost. Like, give me time. Perpetually. It's, still early, <laughs> it's only it's only 11 a.m. Pacific. I'll be uh, feeling spiritually lost. If I go on a walk, I'll probably be turned around. Do you think the universe bends towards order or towards chaos and why? Hmm. Great question. I'm going to say order. And I think it also bends to like what you put out there. What is the most important piece of your childhood that you've held on to and why? And again, this doesn't have to be like a physical thing. It can be like an emotional tenet. Damn, I don't know, man. Um, Could be love of music. I, People have just said their love of metal music or music in general. That's one. And I also think when I was little, I have a twin brother. We used to just go outside in the desert and disappear all day. And no one really knew what we were doing or where we were going. BMX bikes, chasing lizards, like something about that, just wandering around in the desert, hot, never remember taking water like strange now that i'm an adult it's like how it's like 110 and like i guess i just drank out of people's hoses that i didn't know like strangers but i think about that a lot like how much time i spent outside without a shirt on just like rambling through the desert i don't know yeah that's the equivalent to me would be being in buffalo and like walking around in the snow without proper <laughs> out proper stuff i'm like why why would i ever do that but I just didn't, you just yeah. didn't care. You know, when you were younger, just fucking around with your friends, playing King of the Hill, throwing them down huge snow mountains, or in your case, like, you know, playing out in the desert. It's funny that yeah. way when you're young. Yeah, man. What is one axiom or quote that centers you and calms you in dark times? I, I don't know about a quote. Like, I don't have anything pinned in my brain, but something that repeats a lot is just shut up and listen. That over the last little bit, pretty important to how I deal with people. And to everyone who has ever been touched by your words and music, what do you say? I say thanks. It's a selfish thing. Honestly, I'm not doing it for anybody else. Like, I don't try to touch anybody or be anybody else, like, any sort of principle or guide for anybody. I just am really trying to selfishly make something I would really, really like to find. And I see that people are finding stuff that I do and they feel that way. And I would just say thanks because, I don't know, lets me know I'm not completely alone and completely psychotic in this pursuit, you know? Stu, you have just engaged in psychic warfare. Thank you so much for joining me today. It truly means the world. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to Psychic Warfare. If you like content like this for the rock and metal scene, it would mean a lot to me if you could hit subscribe or follow on your podcast platform of choice. Also, you can follow me at Risk with a K on Twitter, and you can follow the show at Pod on Twitter and Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you guys again for all the support, and I will see you in the next episode for another round of Psychic Warfare. <laughs>